You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, good morning, everyone. I hear laughing. Remember, I still have the knife I used to carry on me, even though I'm crippled. I still have it, Steph. <laughs> well, it's great to see you. I'm uh, 12 days, or no, 10 days post-op, and uh, it seems to be healing up well. I had to have pins put in my uh, ankle. So... I'm hoping, I got an appointment this uh, Thursday with the surgeon, hoping that uh, he'll let me have a walking cast at that point. That'd be great, because, yeah, these crutches really, they really uh, bung things up. So thanks for your prayers, and continue to pray that the, the bone would, would set properly. I want to also uh, thank you for everyone that either participated in or contributed, gave finances to the plunge. It was an awesome event, and all 21 people that went in had a great time. Uh, nobody was screaming. Nobody died. Uh, there's no need for CPR or anything like that. I think there's a few more people that now see the benefits to a cold water uh, submission. So we will, we will look for more people next year. Uh, hopefully we do it. And the most important thing is we raised a lot of money to feed a lot of people who are in some pretty dire and desperate situations. So I was talking to Charles, uh, who's in charge of the orphanage over in Burkina Faso, last uh, week, and he is going to put together a little video of the kids um, and some pictures of them giving uh, food to the refugees, and it's going to send it to us in the next couple of weeks. So we'll look forward to that. We are starting a new series, a five-part series on money. And now, money and pastors oftentimes don't go well, but I promise you, this isn't about me. This is about you and about God and about where your finances in Him connect. It's going to be an important series because a lot of people struggle with money. Um, We are specifically going to be teaching on its power over you and how you can have, through Christ, power over it. We're going to be looking at its use its proper place in your heart. We're going to be looking at how we can use it in a way that makes God proud, that says great things to the world about him, or we can use it in a way, as many people do, as many Christians unfortunately do, in a way that brings shame, that builds into the selfishness that we see throughout the world. And I know that most, many of you, not most of you, many of you, the reality is, is that you are in bondage to money. I don't need to guess it. I just need to look at the statistical facts about it, about the general population and their use of money, and about Christians and their use of money, and see that really there isn't that much difference between the two. But I don't want that for you, and God definitely doesn't want that to you. So I'm going to teach you what the Bible has to say about wealth. And and, and I'm going to teach you that God has a purpose for it. It's not that he hates it. It's not that he wants you to live as uh, homeless beggars on the street. No, no, no. There's a place for it, but it needs to be in its proper place. We're going to show you uh, through 
the Bible, uh, that you can actually use it in a way that then God will multiply it. Not only will you benefit and have more of it than you've ever had, but the world will benefit it. The kingdom will benefit from it. And so maybe over the last two years, as the government has fired up the printing press and has been sending it out like it's monopoly money, maybe you've used that to pay off some debts. That's good. That's great. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've just jumped on the train and racked on more debt. That's okay. God can start right here with you and help you get out of that bondage. But the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, that our country is broke on paper. I think we can all say that that's true. The reality is is that inflation is at a a 40-year high, and it's going to get worse with the things going on in the world. That our society has never been lazier than it is, so we are not the innovative nation that we were 50 years ago, and that we still haven't even started to pay off the debts from the last two years. The bill still needs to be paid. And so we can expect lean times coming down the road. History would prove it. The Bible would prove that. And we can either choose to ignore what God is going to show you, and that's your choice to do it. Nobody's going to check. I have no idea what anyone does with their money besides what they tell me in this church. That's one of the things that we have. I have nothing to do with money um, except what they tell me with a budget line. And so you can choose to ignore it or you can choose to take it and you can watch God change your life, change your financial situation. The Bible says so much about money. 800 times the Bible talks specifically about money in different places throughout the old and new. Uh, Jesus talked about money or referenced money more than, only, than every other subject except the kingdom of God. So his number two discussion uh, piece was money, wealth. In 11 of his 39 parables, he talks about money. In one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke, he references money. He's got something to say about it. And so we need to listen. This series is going to build upon each other. So there's five sermons. Each one is building upon the one before it. And so if you're not able to make it to a Sunday, I suggest, I encourage you to go back and listen to it online before you show up, and then you find yourself a little behind. Now, I'm going to have a couple volunteers now who are going to give these out. These are study guides. Every adult and every youth is going to get one. Uh, This is to be used throughout the series. And it's a, complim- it's a companion to the sermon series. It's in order to help you to take notes. I'm going to follow the same basic outline that is in here for each sermon. I want it to benefit you. I want it to, you to go back later and look at the references, the biblical references. Yeah, every adult, take one for yourself. And you can turn to chapter one. Don't be one of those keen people who tries to read chapter two while I'm trying to teach chapter one. You're going to find lots of examples. There's some fill-in-the-blanks to help you pay attention. So if you don't have a pencil, there's probably one in the seat ahead of you to make notes. We're going to look at some statistics. You guys are like kids on Christmas. All excited. You got something new and shiny and glossy. That's great. Alyssa did a great job putting it together. And now, why did I do this? It's not so I can just... Take the extra time to do it. This is for your benefit, I hope. 
There's a reason I'm doing it. It's not so I can hear myself speak or see something with my name on it. I'm hoping you're going to take it and start to use it. There's going to be at the end of every uh, chapter, you're going to see weekly action exercises. Now, that is for you as an individual. If you're married, I suggest you do it uh, with your spouse, or if you're single, do it with a friend for you to work through. The point is, is that what we're teaching and the way your life is really living, I want to come together. And I want you to really wrestle with, am I using the finances God has given me in a way that glorifies God? Am I using it correctly? And if you're not, then I encourage you to make the changes you need to make. And so for some of you, this will just be a refresher, and that's great. And for some of you, this may be a big eye-opener, and it may be a big challenge, but I encourage you through prayer to embrace it. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, I am not comfortable talking about money with your people. I can admit that. Because I know that for a lot of people, this is their sacred cow. This is their no-go area. This is their place that only they are allowed to control. And that's hard. But Lord, I encourage you, or sorry, Lord, I ask you to encourage the people to look deeply in their hearts and to examine, are they really using their finances in a way that glorifies you. Lord, we can see, we can look around and see that our our country really is in a financial mess. And the general person, an average Canadian, their finances are really in a mess. But Lord, let it not be said of us. Let us be not be claiming bankruptcy and be going to payday loans and be having five or six different credit cards, Lord. Let us be a people who steward what you've given us well. So God, I pray you would help me, a simple man, to talk about this complex and touchy subject. And Lord, that it would be useful and glorifying to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Since I'm partially crippled, I've got some slides here. So you're going to see something like that. And that's your fill in the blank to make sure you're aware. And they're mostly the main points. And yes, it is very annoying. But our key text today is one given to us by Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. I'll encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. Or it's in your study guide, I believe. Yeah, it's at the top of chapter 1. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one or love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God is after our money because God knows there is a rope attached from our wallets to our hearts. For God, it is not about getting our money. It's about getting our hearts. And God knows that most of us struggle with 
controlling money. He says, nobody can have two masters. It's important for us to really understand the context. And the same uh, ancient time that Jesus was living in and talking about was the same ancient time that Paul was writing about 30 years later to the Ephesians. And so we've talked about over the last month uh, the slave-master relationship, and we've really looked at that in depth. But just an overview for those of you who weren't here need to understand that, that to be a slave, okay, there's two important things. In the eyes of the law meant you had no rights what so ever that you absolutely had no rights of your own that the master could do absolutely anything he wanted to do to you he could kill you he could sell you he could throw you out he could beat you the master had total control he possessed you and second that in the ancient world that Jesus is talking about, that Paul uh, was talking about, the slave had no time that was their own personal time. Time that they could claim was theirs and no one else's. That every moment of a slave's life belonged to the master. And in our modern world, right, we have our nine to five, you know, I clock in, I'm under the boss's time, and then I go home and it's me time, right? And I put my feet up and I do whatever I want to do. It's, it's me time. Not so in the ancient world. Not so in the world that Jesus was talking to. Every moment of that slave's life was at the disposal of the master. It doesn't mean the master had him doing something every moment, but the time was owned by the master. And so here we see the relationship that Jesus is talking about. That we, a Christian, have no rights that are our own, that we belong to the master, that he is the undisputed master of our lives. We can never first ask, uh, what do I wish to do? And then secondarily ask, what would God have me do? What does God want me to do with my time? Nah, I don't like that. I think I'll do what I want to do. That is just not something that Jesus talks about. In secondary, we can never say, uh, what would I like to do with my time over what, can, what would God have me do with my time? We can never say, I think I'll relax my Christian standards for a while so that I can do what I want to do, and then I'll become a Christian again in half an hour. Let me put it in this example. Am I ne- ever not Rebecca's husband? Rebecca's my wife. Am I ever not her husband? Wives? Is there, am I just her husband between certain hours? No, I'm always her husband. There is never a time when I just take a break from being her husband, right? And go down the street and visit some other ladies. No, that, that doesn't work that way. That is not the way it works in this human relationship. Let me give you another example. Is there ever a time when I am not the pastor of this church? When I can, you know, say, okay, it's five o'clock, I'm going over to the Albion and sling some vodka shots and fight, you know, get in a uh, fist fight. And well, I can't really right now, but later, right? Is there a time I can do that? No, I'm your pastor all the time. And so therefore, I, I, I have to think about that, what I say and what I do. I'm the pastor. And, and none of you, Rebecca, nor you are my master. Right? One is my wife and one is my employer. 
How much more then does God own our time? Because there is only one who is our master, and that is Jesus Christ. And so it's not the love of money, or sorry, it's not money that is the problem. It's not money that automatically makes people the master. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And so your first fill-in-the-blank, which I seem to have disappeared, and your, your first fill-in-the-blank is a person's master is the one that they devote their life to. A person's master is the one that they devote their life to. According to Matthew uh, chapter 19, verses uh, 23 and 24, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That should stop and make us give pause. Jesus is saying that, you know, in, uh, in heaven you're going to see a lot of black people, a lot of white people, a lot of Asian people. You're going to see a lot of men, a lot of women, short people, tall people. Uh, but you're not going to see a lot of rich people. Why is that? Well, because rich people or people that have the ability to become rich or wealthy tend to put that wealth above God. That's why we see in, in times of great distress, nations uh, enter a period of hardship or a nation that is very poor. They tend to cling to God a lot more than in a nation where people are very rich and wealthy. That's why uh, Christianity is growing in second and third world nations and it's dying out here in the West. And it was growing in Canada and the United States and in the West until the 60s. And then we started to boom and we had this, this prosperity that the middle class just rose up. There was never an ability for the average person to have this sort of wealth before. And all of a sudden, the need for God dropped off. Well, I don't need God anymore. I, I'm, I'm my own master. And, and so this, what Jesus is saying, should stop and make us give pause. Why? Because all of us are very wealthy compared to much of the world. Our ability to get the sort of stuff, the possessions, the wealth that we can get now is an ability that most people in the world don't have. There's a, uh, a website that you can go to. There's a few of them. And they, and they take um, all the incomes from all the world and they, and they, and they take the, the, wealth, the worth of their dollar and they, and they put it up against the cost of living and they come up with a, um, an ability that you can see how, much, how wealthy you are compared to the rest of the world. And so a single Canadian, um, it's, this one if you want to go to it, it's What Giving Can Do, this website. If you can put it in the chart, it says, uh, I typed it in, a single Canadian um, with a $30,000 income makes more than 92.9% of the world adjusted to international dollars. So, if you're a single person and you're bringing in $30,000, you are wealthier than 92.9% of the world adjusted to standards of living there. 
A Canadian family of four, which tends to be the average, uh, making $65,000, which is the average income of a person in Ontario, uh, makes, 90%, makes more than 90% of the world. And so this, these words of Jesus, should stop and make us give pause because we are wealthy. Pretty much all of us in here are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And so, back to Jesus on Jesus in Matthew 19. We don't have to be wealthy compared to everyone around us. But the, the ability to have it. And so look at your life. Compare it to most of the people in the world. Would they say you're wealthy? Yeah, they probably would. And, and Jesus goes on later in Mark chapter 38, verse 36 to say that to gain the world, to go after it, to make it your primary thing that you're chasing, you'll trade your soul. You'll lose your soul. Those are the strong words of not Paul, not Peter, but of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our second main point. A person's master is the one who influences their decisions. Who's their influencer? Who's your influencer? When you make a decision, what tends to be the primary thing that is influencing you? Is it God or is it wealth, possessions, those sorts of things? When you take a new job, what's the primary thing you're thinking about? Like you've got five jobs, let's say, job offers, and you're looking at it. Is it always, which one's going to get me more money? Or is it, which one is going to allow me to influence God's kingdom to be an active part of what he is doing in the world? Which one is it? Uh, when, you're, when you're making your budget, which, which thing is the primary influencer? Is it, how can I steward this in the best way that glorifies God and builds his kingdom? Or is it how can I have as much for me and the things that I want to do? What's the primary influencer? When, when, when uh, it's time to make a meal for a sick person or somebody who's had a new baby, what's the thing that says, makes you say, you know what, I'm not going to make a meal for them? Is it money? Oh, that's just going to cost too much. Or is it God? I want to take a part in, in doing what God is doing in his church and taking care of each other and sharing the burden. I want you to think about it in your life. Look back in your life. Look back to the decisions that you've made throughout your life. What is the primary thing that is influencing those decisions? Back to our primary text. Jesus says, no one can have two masters. Since either he will hate one or love the other, he will be devoted to one or will despise the other. That's a strong language. I don't think Jesus would be a very popular pastor in Canada in 2022. What do you think? Do you think Jesus would get, get hired on by most search committees if he talked this kind of way? Probably not. Regardless, Jesus says it and we have to listen to it. So our third point is a person's master is the one they love or hate. They will love one and hate the other because they are opposed to each other. Did you know that? That the love of money and the love of God are opposed to each other. There's some conflicting things going on when you love money, when it's your master. 
It's like you can't have it as your number one and Jesus as your number two. There's too many conflicting issues. Jesus must be the master and money must be the servant. Jesus is not saying you shall hate money, like hate it and like I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to live in a field and in a tent and I'm just going to eat dandelions and I'm, and I'm going to grow all my own food and I'm not going to uh, be a part of the economy. Uh, I'm not, he's not saying that. But what he's saying is, you, is your comparison, in comparison to how much you love Jesus, it's like you hate money. Right? He uses this sort of, uh, these sort of speeches, this sort of language in a lot of different areas. Uh, another area he uses it in is in marriage. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Do not be yoked together with those who don't believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Right? And so, so Jesus is not saying hate unbelievers and treat them badly. No, no, but he's, he's saying when you yoke together, when that thing is, is that person in a marriage relationship, when you are one flesh and yet one is not following Jesus, it has other masters, and you are following Jesus, there's going to be some conflicting problems. There's some opposition that's going to happen. So he says, don't do it because it's just going to provide pain and suffering. And so in the same way, Jesus says, don't put money as your master. Because when you love money, when it's the thing you're going after, you can't really be strong in Christ. There's too much opposition. And your love for Christ should be like, money, yeah, it's a useful tool, but, you know, I may have it, I may not. I'm going to steward it the best I can because it's God's. But you know what? If, if, if I don't have an abundance of it, I'm not going to become depressed. I'm not going to yell at God because I still have God. And so what sort of hold does it have on you? Are you yoked together with money? Is it the thing that you look to first and I see it so often. You probably do too with young people, with youth. They just, right, they so want to be like this person, to get the, that much money and, and drive that car and have that sort of house and have this sort of lifestyle. Right? I see it with young families, right? They're, they're, they're just grinding to make as much money as they can and, and they're, they're neglecting the things that God says are important to get more money. I see it in people in their 50s, right? They're just, they're just trying to get as much as they can so I can get that new house and that new car. It's like it's, it's their primary, so I don't have any time for, for other things. This is my focus. I see it in seniors even, right? They, they've, somehow they're still deceived. They think if I just get a little bit more, I'll be happy. I'll find satisfaction. But they're opposed to each other. Fourth point, a person's master is the one they look at as the answer to the problems around them. Like when you look at the problems of the world, what do you see as the answer? God or money? What does our society say is the answer? If we were to poll um, our political leaders, what would they say is the answer to addictions? Is the answer to racism, is the answer to depression. More money. Print more money and throw the money at it. 
And so what do most individuals think? Most Canadians, if, if you were to ask them what would they want more of in their life, what do you think one of the top answers would be? think it would be God? you think it would be money? And, and this is a problem dating way back to the start of creation. It was a problem for the Israelites. They tended to walk away from God because they wanted more money. They wanted the things that the people around them had. And, you know, Elijah, uh, he was a prophet in the days of old. He went up to the people and he gave them a, a pretty strong uh, challenge. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, he says this, Then Elijah approached all the people and said to them, How long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And right in... And, and we can look around in our society and see just how it's like self-destructing. And yet we're like still like, ah, I think if I get a little bit more money, I think then, then I'll be happier. And then if I get that new house, I'll, I'll have a better lifestyle. And I think, I think, I think we're still often looking to it as the answer. And if so, it may be your master. Then we get to the last word in Jesus' warning. I'll read it all in context again. No one can have served two masters, since either he will hate one or love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, money in that word, or in uh, in the Greek, if we look in the concordance, comes up with the word mammon. It's not actually money. It's translated into English, money. But in the Greek, it's mammon. Now, mammon in the Hebrew, is, it's a, it's a ter- term that the Jews used to use. What it means is the treasure that a person trusts in. The treasure that a person trusts in. For most people, that tends to be money. So you don't have to be rich to have money as your master, you just have to trust in it. You just have to look to it as your security. And three generations of of Canadians have been told that if you just get a little bit more money, you will be secure, right? The boomers, the Gen Xers, and the millennials. It's the dream. Who cares about God? We don't need God. Get out of our government, get out of our schools, get out of our life, get out of our families. More money will make you secure. Unfortunately, money is not worthy of our trust. There's an old Chinese saying, wealth does not last beyond three generations. I remember I had heard that, and so I wanted to see if that was true. And so I did some research, and there's, a, there's plenty of studies that have looked at this out there, but there was a study done by the Williams Group. And they uh, looked at 3,200 uh, wealthy families and tracked that wealth from Generation 1, the generation that acquired that wealth, to Generation 3, and how they fared. And they found, and this is in your, your study guide, that 7 out of all of the 10 families by the second uh, generation... Seven of the ten families had lost that wealth. The second generation lost it. It wasn't secure. 
First generation earned it, passed it on to the second, seven out of those ten, gone. And when they looked at the third generation, by the time it got to the third generation, it was nine out of those ten. The wealth was gone. Their security, gone. It should stop and give us pause. Wealth is often seen as a reliable thing that we can trust in. All right, we're putting the money away in our investments, and investing is a part of stewarding well. We're going to talk about that. We're paying off debts. Paying off debts is a part of stewarding God's resources well. We're going to look at that. But if it's where you think your, your, you look at your future and you're like, yeah, yeah, my future's looking pretty good because I have this much put away, because I have this much in investments. Well, history tends to show every generation that that is not true. The crash of 1929, and I don't expect you to be able to read all the finer details. You can see the part highlighted in red. That was the peak of the stock market in 1929. And then on, they call it a Black Monday, the Dow Jones dropped 39.6%. You can see that first big drop. Then over the next Two years, or two and a half years, until the summer of 2000, or 1932, it lost 89% of its value from its peak. People killed themselves. People drank themselves to death. I remember reading a, a, about um, this group of people that they were on a boat, these rich investors, and they were on a boat, and back then they had tickers, these things that ticked through uh, the numbers in the stock market. And, and they said, uh, this writer says that they went into the um, bathhouses, I guess that these bathhouses where they'd relax and steam and drink their scotch and smoke their cigars. They went into the bathhouses rich men, and they came running out of the bathhouses poor men. And running out in their, in their bathrobes, uh, yelling at the, the, the guy to get on the ticker and, and sell all they had. Because they had put their trust that wealth was going to be it. Again, in 1980, 21%, 21.5% crash. Lots of, lots of people lost everything they had. Again, in 1987, interest rates People are like, oh, we can borrow lots. We can borrow more than we, than we can really afford. And inflation was out of control. And so what did they do? They raised interest rates in 1987. Some of you were alive then. Some of you maybe owned houses. Interest rates, I've, been, I've read that were up to 21% even. And people are like, I can't pay this. And now we have the lowest interest rates in the history of our country for the longest period of time. And somehow people think, ah, oh, this will probably work out well. And there was the 2000, the 2000 uh, dot-com bubble. I was 20 years old at the time. The NASDAQ dropped 76% over a two-year period. 765 percent of its value. It took another four years from that 2002 period to gain back what it had lost. A lot of people lost their shirts. A lot of people went bankrupt. And then, of course, many of you would remember technology. The 2008 crisis where, again, people had 
bought on these, these way over expensive houses and, and leveraged themselves too much. And then these insurance companies couldn't take it anymore. And it was like a domino effect. And people lost 75, uh, sorry, 54% of their income. And this is the latest since then. That's 2012. And this is the Dow. And again, stock market has that all-time highs, that little blip you see there that, that's almost like a couple of, like a week or two and down and up. That's when the pandemic hit. And that's when the governments opened up the printing presses and started spitting out money. And they took it and stuck it in the stock market. And it's at all-time levels, even though our economies have been closed, right? When we put our hope and our trust in money, you know what money is going to eventually do? If that's your ultimate hope, it's going to let you down. And so, in closing, I just want to look at, at, at the reliability. Two more points. At the reliability of an example. In my wallet, I often carry, or I carry... I got five bucks. That's my allowance. And then I have this $50 trillion bill from Zimbabwe. It's real. It was printed in Zimbabwe by the Bank of Zimbabwe. $50 trillion. This was at the height of their hyperinflation. This couldn't even buy a loaf of bread. It wasn't even worth it. It was being printed in Germany. The ink that it was being printed on. And history proves to us that every single, over the last 6,000 years, every single currency has gone to zero, lost its value. This and this, there's no difference. It's just, well, this is plastic, and this is paper. But it has no real value. It cannot really protect you. Its value is based only off what other people think of it. Whereas God is forever. God is a great master. God serves his creation. Money constantly calls out for more. God serves his creation and gives himself more. He is always reliable. He is always faithful. He never changes. He is always secure. He follows through on his promises. Psalm 102 says this, Long ago you established the earth and the heavens are, your, are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out their, like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and, you will, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. God is reliable. God is secure, and he is the only one worthy of to be called master. And if you've read the story of the rich young ruler and read the story of Zacchaeus, you would know there's two rich men that come to God, come to Jesus. They've both got a lot of wealth. They come to Jesus looking for answers because something is wrong in their lives. They come and their master is mammon. Their master is wealth. If you read those stories, which I don't really have time to do, read that both of them are wealth, wealthy. Both of them put their trust in mammon. 
Both men knew something was wrong in their lives, and so they came to God looking for an answer, came to Jesus looking for an answer. The rich young ruler, he was blind. He was blind to the fact that something in him needed to change. He comes to Jesus and said, I've essentially done everything right. Everything's perfect in my life. And Jesus names off a bunch of the, the commandments, but there was one commandment he didn't name off. You shall have no other gods before me. And that was his problem. Money was his master, but he didn't see it that way. He was blind and thought nothing in his life needed to change. What did Jesus tell him to do in order to gain eternal life? He said, go, sell, give, come. But he didn't do it. Zacchaeus knew his current master was false. He knew his master wouldn't suffice. He knew because he had done everything his master mammon had asked and required of him, and yet he was still empty. So what did Zacchaeus do to break the grip that his master had on him? He gave, and he paid back. Notice that one was asked to do it and wouldn't do it. One did it on his own initiative. What about you? If Jesus was to ask you that question, which he probably won't, but if he was to ask you, which one would you be? The rich young ruler or Zacchaeus? What would you do to please your master if Jesus was your master? Would you give? Would you pay back? Would you make right? The rich young ruler went away grieving. Grieving why? Because he realized money was his master. Money had control of him. Zacchaeus went away full of joy. Why? Because he had a new master, one who loved him, one who wouldn't give up on him, one who would serve him. One went away with a hold on his life by a corrupt master money. One went away free and full of joy. And either we honor God with our wealth. This is really the reality. Either we honor God with our wealth or, like Zacchaeus did, or we Worship wealth like the rich ruler did. So which are you? Do you honor God with your wealth? Or do you honor wealth with your worship? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. The one who loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is Frutal. Futile. Money is the master who always demands more, but never allows you to be content and eventually leads to death. Death of the soul. And, and we don't know if the rich young ruler ever came to faith. We don't know if he ever came back to Jesus. But for all we know, he died in his sins and he lost his soul. And yet, I still meet so many people that are scared stiff of death. I meet so many boomers who are the richest generation. You know that baby boomers control 53% of the wealth in the West? They have 53% of the wealth. 
And yet, so many of them are so miserable, and so many of them are so afraid of death. Money is a crooked master. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is the master who gives himself and leads those who serve him to life. And so who is your master? That's what I want you to go and wrestle with. As we go into stewardship, into debt, into generosity, I want you to really take a good look at your life. I hope that you'll do the, the exercises and determine. You can't really move on with the series unless you get this thing right. Who is your master? Is it money or is it God? And if you need prayer or if you need help financially throughout this series, you can come talk to us and we'd be happy to sit down with you and help you with your finances. And now I just want to, as I pray, I just want to, some of you um, read my letter that I had sent out on Friday about the current situation going on in Ukraine. If you haven't read it, it'll give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history on why this is going on. But I'd encourage you to be praying about this situation. It is definitely the most delicate situation that we have been in since World War II. Yes, I know about the Cold War, but it's different this time. And so we really need to be praying about the situation because there are a lot of serious things at stake. There is a madman who has the ability, who has the most advanced cyber warfare unit in the world, who could take down the grid and the banking system with relative ease, and who has the ability to unleash nuclear warfare. I'm not trying to be afraid to make you afraid. We know the way that the world is going to end. We know that Christ is in control. We know that the way things will play out, and yet there is still a very serious situation. And it calls for our attention in prayer. And so I'm going to pray and I'm and I'm going to encourage you to pray about this. Be praying about it every single day because it is a very serious situation. Be praying for the people of Ukraine. Be praying for the leader. What a leader, eh? A guy who doesn't run away from problems, but a guy who takes up and puts on a uniform and fights alongside of his people. So pray for him and his leadership. So let's pray and then I'll and I'll dismiss you. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to examine money and its place in our life. Lord, help us to really get this right. Lord, I don't want people to stand in front of you someday and, and you say, depart from them. I never knew you because your master was money. Lord, I, we pray, we call out to you about the situation going on in Ukraine and we just pray for a for this war to end and for a solution that is good. We pray for calm heads. We pray for wisdom. Lord, we need leaders who are not just political hacks. We need leaders who will lead with wisdom from you. Lord, we pray that those men and women would rise up. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for your patience and, and time, and I'll see you later.
Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.